want to talk about hope. I just reminded myself as I heard that come out of come off my lips the passage of scripture that says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Some of you may feel that way that some of your hopes have been dashed. And as I said this morning, as long as God's in the picture, there's always hope, right? Amen. And I want to entitle the message tonight, Hope for the Future. Hope for the Future. We're going to be reading out of Proverbs 23, 17 and 18 here in just a moment. So Lord, as we look at your word today, um, again, we are very needy of your Holy Spirit to be the teacher, to be the one that brings the word to life and quicken it to all of our hearts and even the application to our spirit man and physical man as well. We need you to help us with that, Lord God, that we would be men and women that can walk confidently in the hope that's in Christ Jesus. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us, and we trust and rely on all that you have for us today, tomorrow, and clear into eternity. We rest in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Could somebody do me a favor? Look up, there's a passage of scripture that says we have this hope, this, an anchor. Um, look, in your, look in your concordance and see if you can find that. Um, for some reason that verse is just swimming through my head and I can't believe I didn't put it within the context of this message tonight. But we have uh, it, hope and anchor are both in the same verse. Hebrews 6.19, read that for us. Hebrews 6.19. Sword drill, who gets it first? Read it. Okay, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary. I, I picture when I see that verse, I picture this, this cord, chain, some sort of apparatus attached to this huge boat anchor. And I see it cast all the way to heaven and right in the throne of God. It's latched onto the throne of heaven. And that connected to earth reminds us that there's hope from this end to that end. And oftentimes we get so caught up in what's going on in our world here that we forget that there's something better there. And that's not a maybe, not a, you know, roll the dice and, and hope kind of thing, but it is a, an assurance. We have this hope as an anchor. In other words, it's, it's steadfast. It's, it's, it's holding this thing together. It's holding on to us. And um, that verse just kept popping in my mind uh, here, and I wish I had thrown it in the message somehow, but somehow I didn't. But anyway, hope for the future. Uh, in December 8th, 1941, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, wasn't around quite then, still just a concept in the mind of heaven, um, President Franklin Roosevelt gave a speech to the American people. In part of the speech, he said, with confidence in our armed forces, with unbounded determination of our people, 
we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. So help us God. I love the way he tacked that on the end. So help us God. Then four years later, there was celebration after Germany and Japan surrendered and the end of World War II brought a sense of closure to the attack on Pearl Harbor. That's the war you fought in, Pastor Wiley, World War II. And then 9-11, most of us in this room, uh, all of us, I guess, remembered that day. And President Bush addressed the American public and said, Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist attacks. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, and huge structures collapsing have filled us with disbelief and terrible sadness and a quiet, unyielding anger. These acts of mass murder were intended to frighten our nation into chaos and retreat, but they have failed. Our country is strong. He concluded his remarks by saying, Tonight I ask for your prayers for all those that grieve, for the children whose world has been shattered, and for all those whose sense of security and safety has been threatened. And I pray they will be comforted by a power greater than any of us, spoken through the ages in Psalm 23. And he went on to quote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He went on to say a little further, Terrorist attacks can shake the foundation of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts shattered steel, but they cannot deny the steel of American resolve. After reading these two inspiring speeches from presidents in the past, happening after some really difficult times around the globe and here in our nation, um, you can't help but have a sense of patriotism that rises up within you, but it's not patriotism that will keep any of us today at the helm, and it won't keep us with a great sense of hope in the future. I thank God for America. I thank God for our armed forces and all that. But I don't place my trust and my hope in that. Both presidents ended their speech with an affirmation or an alluding at least at best to the fact that there is a God that is um, over this nation. And I thank God for the United States of America and the blood that's been shed for our nation's freedom. But it's the blood of Jesus Christ that's going to carry us and keep us through the real valleys that will be ahead and have been in the past. Greater than any war against terror is the war against, of the ages against our great enemy, the enemy of our soul, Satan himself. And we struggle with that on a daily basis, many of us, all of us. And these random acts of terror have a way of conjuring up fear in all of our hearts if we're not careful. Uh, I know back in the day when I was in high school, uh, it seemed like at that particular time there was this big threat, looming threat that wasn't spoken of much other than you heard it every once in a while, uh, uh, you know, randomly on the news. But there was a sense in, if you were to poll the high school students at that time, one of the greatest fears was a nuclear attack, that the United States would be bombed with a nuclear bomb and that, you know, there'd be a, t- a terrible thing. Um, when we walk with God through any storm of life, there's one word that stands out as a beacon for the soul, and that's the word I want to address tonight, and that is that word hope, H-O-P-E. It stands for having only positive expectations. Having only positive expectations. Let's go to our text tonight, Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, 
But always be jealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope, literally, which means a, a cord attachment, a, a cord or attachment, your hope will not be cut off. It's interesting that that word hope means a cord or attachment in light of the passage of Scripture we read in Hebrews with the thought that I had where the anchor's there and that long cord attached. We have this cord, we have this attachment that will not be cut off. Notice where our attention should be in times of difficulties. He said the fear, the fear of the Lord in uh, verse 17, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> and that word fear, as we know, it doesn't mean, you know, to cower in a corner, you know, trembling and biting your fingernails and afraid that somehow God's going to beat you up. But it's a moral reverence that we have for the Lord. And Brendan Manning says, um, biblical fear of God consists of silent wonder, radical amazement, an affectionate awe at the infinite goodness of God. And I love that definition. What a great definition for the fear of the Lord. But hope motivates us to keep going and to not give up. Um, the Lucy and uh, the Peanuts cartoons that they always had in newspapers, and I haven't read a newspaper. They still got Peanuts, I'm sure, in, in the newspaper. Anybody read funnies? Anybody into that? Nobody. A few heads nodded. Maybe there are. But Lucy and Linus were sitting in front of the television set when Lucy said to Linus, um, could you go get me a glass of water? And Linus looked surprised. Why should I do anything for you? And you never do anything for me. And she said, on your 71st birthday, I promise that I'll bake you a cake. So Linus got up and headed to the kitchen and said, life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. Life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. And that's what hope really is, isn't it? Having something to look forward to. He had to wait 75 years for a cake. He got a glass of water for a cake for 75 years later. I don't know. But do you have a steadfast, unshakable hope in God? Where are you at in your spirit? I think if, what, what would you say the, the opposite of hope is? If hope is on one side, what's on the other side? Despair. Despair. And fear. Okay, so we have this hope and we have fear. Have you noticed that tinge of fear that wants to strike at the heart of every human being in the culture that we live in? The news is bombarded with crazy stuff all the time and that fear wants to, the despair wants to, the, the, you know, the, the fear of, wow, what's going to happen if we lose our jobs? What's going to happen if the economy crashes? What's gonna, how are we going to be able to pay our bills? How are we going to be able to feed our children? And the questions go on and on and on and on and on. And if we're not careful, we can slide over into this category of fear and despair and lose the sight of this hope that God's given us, this anchor we have in Christ Jesus. Hope not only opens the door to receive a touch from God, hope also moves you through the door. Like Linus, when you have hope, you're willing to go and you're willing to get up and you're willing to do something as God inspires you to do that. But fear paralyzes faith and hope. Hear that again. Fear paralyzes faith and hope. So facing the future means being ready for whatever tomorrow may hold. And I want to look tonight at three powerful principles to help us find hope for the future. First of all, don't boast about tomorrow. 
Don't boast about tomorrow. And instead of boasting, we ought to just seek God's will. Nobody but God knows what the future holds. Amen? I don't know what tomorrow is. We don't even know if we're going to make it home tonight. We don't know if we have tomorrow to look forward to. Tomorrow's my day off, so I'm looking forward to it, but I don't have the assurance that I'm going to make it to my day off tomorrow. We may not know that the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And that's Jesus Christ. That's the anchor. Proverbs 27 and verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. There are many people who have boasted about knowing the future over the years. Uh, Lee DeFrost, back in 1926, he was an inventor. He said this, Theoretically, television may be feasible, but I consider it an impossibility, a development we should not waste time on and dreaming about. Here we are now with every home having not just one, but some homes having several televisions. And then Thomas Watson in 1943, he was an IBM chairman. He says, I think there is a world market for about five computers. He was not really a visionary, was he? (laughs) And then a recording expert in 1962, we don't think the Beatles will do anything in this, their market. Guitar groups are on their way out. In fact, I was just at a yard sale uh, yesterday, I think it was, and kind of opened up this, this old black uh, case. It was about that thick and opened it up. And what was inside there? A Beatles album. Still, still going. So the Beatles uh, music, you know, is, did they sing I Love You, Yeah, 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 or was that the Monkees? I love you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Monkees, I don't know. But we all probably could conjure up some Beatles songs. And so uh, obviously that marketer didn't have a clue what he was talking about, did he? James chapter 4, turn there with me, uh, verse 13 through 16. James has something to say about this worrying about tomorrow, boasting about it. Verse 13, chapter 4. Now you listen, listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Any ladies here tonight have any little uh, pump sprays in your purse? Maybe a little hairspray or... Uh, breath, you got one? Whip that out for me, would you? Anybody get, I don't care what you get. Anything that sprays is cool. Perfume? Look at that. Nice. It's body mist. Scripture says your life is like this. See it? I did. Smells good too. And it's gone. How many didn't see it? I spray it in front of my dark suit. Will you see it? See that? It's getting strong here now. It's there. It's gone. That's what life is. That doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? That your life is a mist. James says it's like a flower that grows up. Blooms, fades, dies. Blade of grass that grows up, is cut down. So we may not know the future, but we do know 
that in comparison to this life, eternity is a real long time. I, 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 we really can't even fathom that, can we? What eternity is. How do you fathom, how do you get your arms around eternity? It's way beyond our understanding. But we do have a pretty good understanding how short life is. The older we get, we look back and we say, wow, life really did go fast. You know, you can talk to Pastor Wiley. He's 110, and he'll tell you that life is, is went by really fast. Oh, I'm sorry. I was stretching a little bit there. <laughs> but it's interesting. No matter what age you get, when you start getting older, you ask someone that's 70, 80, 90, yes, somebody that's 50, and they'll say in themselves, they don't feel that old, however old that is. I'm 50, but I certainly don't feel 50, whatever 50 is supposed to feel like. But certainly in my mind, I'm not 50 years old. I'm still 25, feeling good and buff and strong and all of that. Until I play football with the young people or something, and I'm reminded that I'm not that age. But it's amazing how fast life goes by, isn't it? Based on this brevity, let's make a point not to exclude God from our plans. Our text said, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So don't boast about tomorrow, but put God in the plan and say, God, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I want to make sure you're in it, whatever tomorrow may hold. And secondly, don't worry about tomorrow. Many of us may not have a problem with boasting about tomorrow, but how many of us have a problem worrying about tomorrow? Concerned, maybe wringing our hands or uh, twiddling our thumbs and just anxious about what is going to happen tomorrow. The English word for worry comes from the German word, W-R-G-E-N, worgen, which means to strangle. To strangle. Worry means to strangle. So it strangles your faith. It strangles your potential to, to be uh, productive in the future or tomorrow. Worry has a way of just closing things down for you. Worry will keep you from good, healthy living, and it actually will make you physically sick in one way or another. Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at a couple of verses here. 26 and 27. Talking about not worrying. The Lord says in Matthew six twenty six, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? But seek first his kingdom, in verse 33, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. In other words, there's enough cares when you get there tomorrow. Forget about what's going to happen tomorrow. Just take care of today. And each day has enough trouble of its own. I have lots of birds in my backyard, and I have a, I have a big, fat, plump dove that likes to sit on my fence back there. And uh, it just chills out for hours. And if I was to open my window, what I wouldn't hear is that dove going, Oh, no, I don't know where I'm going to get food tomorrow. Obviously, he's eating really good. You know, he's being taken care of by our Heavenly Father. 
And he really has no worries. He just kind of hangs out on my fence and eats wherever he eats and shows up whenever he wants. And I don't charge him rent for sitting on my fence. He just does it, intrudes in my backyard until I let my little dog Missy out in the backyard. And then he's got a lot to worry about and doesn't usually hang around for very long. I don't suppose there are many veterinarians that are treating wild birds for anxiety disorder, do you? You see him lined up at the veterinarian's window. Please let me in. I'm too anxious about tomorrow. You know, pecking on the window, let me in. Our natural man wants to ask, where is God in the midst of difficulties? Or, God, what, what are you doing? I think those are natural questions, but when they lead us to the point of worry, then we've gone past the ability to let it rest in the arms of God. Charles Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken, and when you can't trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. There's a song written about that, and those exact words, actually. Worry calls God a liar. Write that down somewhere. Worry calls God a liar. It's basically what you're saying is, God, I can't trust you to take care of whatever that issue is tomorrow. And it really doesn't matter how devastating it is. God is bigger than all of those. Worry is not, is not just a weakness. It really is a sin against the very nature and goodness of God himself. We don't think of it that way, but it is. It's a sin. And God's promised never to leave nor forsake us. And when we worry, we're we're saying, God, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you're going to be here. I don't believe that you're going to take care of me every day. And God's promised to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And when we worry, we're saying, I just don't believe that you really can do that, God. And God said, let not your heart be troubled. And we say, but God, you don't know what you're talking about. To not worry does not mean that we we go into some kind of uh, neutral gear where we just sit idly by and let things uh, be as they are. But we can pray and we can ask God what his will is, what his plan is, and we trust him until we hear that word. And then after we read the word or find the word or hear the word that God speaks in our spirit, we can rest in that. And that's where he wants us to get. Worrying about a situation without trying to do something about it is a lesson in futility. There's a poem that says, For every evil under the sun, either there is cure or there is none. If there be one, seek if it, uh, seek it till you find it. If there be none, never mind it. It's kind of simple. Worry is stewing without doing. I wanted to... Uh, have that song, uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy. I meant to have Ken kind of crack that up and see if he could somehow give us a little line of, Don't worry, be happy. In fact, Ken, if you happen to randomly somehow pull that out of the archives of the internet, just feel free to blurt that into the message anywhere you choose. Lastly, Don't procrastinate until tomorrow. Procrastination is putting off today what you can do tomorrow. There are just some people that are like that. Ah, 
be all right. I'll just do it tomorrow. You know, one of my pet peeves when it comes to, uh, to dinner dishes is, is kind of eating and then setting them on the counter and not even rinsing them off. That's worse yet. But I, I, I can't procrastinate when it comes to that. I just think it makes sense to eat. And if you're not going to wash them, at least rinse the crud off them. Because if you wait till tomorrow, if you should be so procrastinating to wait till tomorrow, it's really hard to scrape the crud off when you could have rinsed it and at least just kind of wash a dish the next day. But true procrastination is putting off today what you can put off again tomorrow. That's a real procrastinator. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, Whoever watches the wind will never plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will never harvest. You kind of get this picture of someone. And nothing's getting done because I'm checking out the cloud. Oh, look at that one. Looks like an elephant. Oh, there's a little bug. up. See that, see that right there in the antennas? And meanwhile, while life is going on and things need to be done, Zig Ziglar, some of you have probably heard that name before. He's just a powerful communicator, a motivational speaker. If you ever heard him, he's funny to listen to and incredibly motivating. He's a very popular speaker around the world and very sought after. Zig Ziglar um, says, if you wait for all the lights on the street to turn green, you're not going to go anywhere. Don't wait for all the lights to turn green. Start going somewhere. Start doing something. Spiritual procrastination can be a very deadly sin because delayed obedience, catch this, is really not obedience at all. In fact, it's outright sin and it may be construed as rebellion or dis or um, disobedience. Delayed obedience. James 4.17, whoever knows what is right but does not do it is doing what? He's sinning, James says. Most of us know what's right, but we just don't get around to doing it. We procrastinate to do the things that we know in our heart to be the right things to do. Let me ask this question. Are there life that you need to do but keep putting those things off? then don't worry about it. Put it off till tomorrow. Be happy. Isn't this a great song? It just makes you feel good just hearing it. It's nothing spiritual, but it's a fun song. We just need to listen to a couple lines because it's good. It's good, Ken. Thanks. Maybe we'll play the rest of that when song, the church ends. We'll just have fun, go out being happy. Yeah, that'll be the altar call. procrastination. What is it you're putting off? Some of you might need to say, I love you to someone that you haven't said I love you to. Or there may be someone that you need to apologize to for something that you said or did. Is there anyone here that's procrastinated about maybe salvation, looking around? I don't suppose we have anybody like that tonight, but None of us have the promise of tomorrow, and the scriptures say today is the day of salvation. But what is it that you're procrastinating about? We talked about a few spiritual issues there, but maybe there's some other issues in your life that you're just procrastinating about. 
Some of you, may, maybe you've wanted to read the Bible through in a year, but you thought, wow, that's such a big project, I just can't do it. But have you started? Can you at least start? Read a chapter a day or a half a chapter, whatever, but get, get it started and let it happen. Stop procrastinating about it. As we're closing tonight, in the midst of tragedy, God will give us signs of hope. The day after 9-11, Frank Seleccia risked his life by sorting through the debris, and the workers had called the pile of debris the Valley of the Shadow of Death because of the horrific patterns that the material fell into and they had to filter through. And as Frank was filtering through the debris, he came across this perfectly formed cross that just stopped him in his tracks. And immediately as he saw it, tears began to fill his eyes. And he was captivated by the symbol of hope amidst the rubble of this devastating situation and building. The cross was later transferred to another location near Ground Zero. And then it was called God's Healing Cross. On reflecting on his discovery of the cross, Frank said, when I saw the cross, it was as if God was saying, I've never left you. I've been right here all along. When I first touched the cross beam, he said, I felt the power of the cross surge through my being. Not just this cross, but the cross. Terror, terrorism, he went on to say, is the devil's tool, but the cross is God's tool. And I don't think I know that we will win. There's so much to thank God for in 9-11 in the midst of all the destruction. I was reading some things the other day that um, out of the four planes, three of them were only at 25% uh, of the capacity of those planes. And, you know, how many flights have you been on lately that have been that empty? I wish to God they were. And I'm usually crammed up beside, you know, lots of people and got long legs and I'm banging the seat in front of me. And then the, the, the fourth plane was only running at one-third of the capacity. And out of 75,000 people that were in that building, I think the death toll was 3,000. And all of those people were able to escape from that terrible tragedy. It really is a miracle of God that there wasn't as much more devastation than there was. And in the midst of all that, God showed this cross, very distinct cross out of all the broken debris, set aside all by itself. The cross for each of us is more than a symbol of hope. For tomorrow or the next day, it's a symbol of hope for all eternity. The cross gives hope for all of our futures in spite of what may happen in the crazy world that we live in. I don't know about you, but I want to find myself resting in the Lord and resting in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, this anchor that is set in heaven for all of us. If you're here tonight and you're a worrier, the Lord says to you, stop. Trust me. Rest in me. Rely on me. Have the fear of the Lord in your life where you can have this awe-inspired respect and reverence for his ability to keep all things together. Jesus says he upholds all things by his powerful word. 
Everything that we know in creation is sustained because of Jesus' powerful word. All of the galaxies that are orbiting about are in perfect harmony because of Jesus. Creation exists because of Jesus' spoken word. You ever just stop and marvel at how awesome creation is? I've got a variety of flowers in the front of my house, and I love to just stop and pick one of those flowers and look at the beautiful pattern in the flower. How did that happen? It wasn't a Big Bang Theory. It was a creator, a designer. And that same designer has your life in his hands. And nothing that happens to you is taking him by surprise. So why worry? when we have this wonderful hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Worship team, why don't you come back? Let's sing a few songs together. And I would just say to you as we begin to sing tonight, maybe there's some things going on in your life that you just need to cast before the feet of Jesus Christ again tonight and say, Lord, I really haven't done a good job in this hope area. I've done a great job worrying or stewing or fussing. God, I... Perhaps you've boasted or you're worried about tomorrow or you procrastinated. Any one of those three areas in your life, you'd just be able to come before the Lord tonight and say, God, I want you to help me in this area. I want you to help me if I'm procrastinating. I suppose something I'm supposed to be doing, but I just haven't done it. Help me to get on that tomorrow and make that happen so that I can put some of these issues behind me and not worry and fret about the future. And if you want to find a place to pray around the altars, you're welcome to do that. If you want to, um, if you want to uh, sit in your seat and do that, you're, you're welcome to do that. The important thing is if there's one of those issues there, let's deal with it tonight. Let's not procrastinate here tonight. Let's just get right into the presence of the Lord and ask Him to help you to deal with that as we sing a few of these worship songs. And